Good morning, everyone. Welcome on this Resurrection Sunday. So grateful that you would join us, both those who are a part of our normal family here at Family Life Church and those who are spread out around the states and around the world. I welcome you in the name of the Lord. So grateful that you're here. I was thinking this morning, uh, as most of you probably know, my wife's mother passed away on Thursday. And uh, of course, it's a sad time for us. We grieve her loss. But as we were worshiping this morning, I was just struck again with a thought. What a time to pass into the presence of the Lord that for us on Easter, they get to celebrate Easter every moment of every time there in heaven for all of eternity. And she's reunited with her husband. But my wife, Karen, and I do want to thank you for your many well wishes, your prayers. Thank you for the way in which you have uh, cared for us during this time. And we rejoice at the goodness of God in her home going, where though she was 96 years on this earth, she is eternally now in his presence. <clears throat> I know that those of you that are a part of the family here have heard this story before. But I ask your indulgence, and I want to share it again, just because I like it. Dr. W.E. Sangster, who was the former president of the Methodist Conference in the British Isles, was afflicted late in life with a creeping paralysis which included his vocal cords. The only way he could communicate was to write feeble notes to his daughter. Well, on the last Easter that he celebrated on this earth, he wrote a note to his daughter that said this, what a terrible thing to be alive on Easter and not be able to shout. But what a more terrible thing to be alive on Easter and be able to shout, but have nothing to shout about. Do you have something to shout about today? I know for me, as sad as we are at the loss of our mother, we rejoice at the truth that Jesus Christ reigns now and forever. In the midst of uncertainty everywhere, I want to make a guarantee to you, a promise, and that is that this is not the end. What we're experiencing right now is not the end because Jesus Christ still sits upon the throne. A story is told of a man who was driving by a baseball field one day and saw a game going on with some children. So he stopped to watch them for a while. He leaned over the fence, <clears throat> and he asked the fielder, <clears throat> who's ahead? <clears throat> and the left fielder said, we are. And he said, well, what's the score? And the left fielder said, it's 23 to nothing, them. Well, he obviously was confused, and he said, well, wait a minute, I thought you said you were ahead. And... The fielder said, we are. We just haven't come to bat yet. And I want to suggest to you that though it might not feel like you're ahead today, the reality is Jesus Christ gets the final swing of the bat. And at the end of all time, he will defeat all foes. This morning, I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> it's one of my favorite scriptures 
But in that section of scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus actually taunts death and the grave. He basically says this, hey, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory now? Today, Jesus Christ has won the victory for us. Would you all turn to John's Gospel in chapter 18? I want to read a section of Scripture to you. Uh, it's actually a fairly lengthy section of Scripture that's going to go on for quite a while. And because of that, I've solicited some help from some different readers. But we're going to begin reading in John's Gospel, chapter 18 and verse 1. Would you follow along? When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often went there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that would come upon him, went forward. And he said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell down. And he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus, and they bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Cephas, who was the high priest that year. Now, it was Cephas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient for one man to die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Then the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? 
Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him, judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put, him, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I have found no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. 
When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced.
thank you all for reading along with us. I know it was a lengthy section, but I think it's good to read the Word of God together. As I was reading the Scripture this year, I was struck with so many different things. Uh, it would just take too long to share, but just a couple of the things that really struck me this year when I looked at the passion of our Lord leading up to His death and then, of course, His resurrection. I was struck with the fact that these leaders were so afraid of this man, this man Jesus, who had been teaching daily in their own courts, that they sent a detachment of soldiers in order to arrest them. And depending upon what historian you read, a detachment of soldiers in the Roman military parlance was between 200 and 1,000 soldiers. I was struck with the kiss of Jesus. Do you realize that's only the second time the scripture says Jesus was kissed? The first time was by a woman of ill repute. And then this time by Judas, a traitor. And as I thought about the Passion Week, my thoughts naturally turned to the cross. Have you considered that though women, plural, are mentioned in the text, there is one woman who is different than all the rest? You see, she was involved with Jesus at the beginning by God's choice, but in the end by her choice. You see, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was chosen by God the Father to bear his son into this world. That was God's choice. But at the end, it was her choice to be near her son at the time of his suffering and death. And then I thought about <clears throat> the three crosses holding three different men. One was losing his life. One was gaining his life. And one was giving his life. One was a cross of rebellion. One was a cross of repentance. And one was a cross of redemption. The one cross said, for the wages of sin is death. The other cross said, but the gift of God is eternal life. But that middle cross said, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I thought about what I would share with you this morning, I made the decision that I wanted to look at the events that we have just read about through the eyes of four different people. The first is a disciple. The second is a Jew. The third is a Roman. And the fourth will remain unmentioned for a few moments. The first man was a disciple. And one of the interesting things about this disciple is his name never occurs in the scripture without a qualifier. It will say things like this, he who betrayed Jesus, or he who carried the bag. And when it talks about him carrying the bag, it doesn't just mean that he was the treasurer for the group. It meant that he was helping himself to the money from within. For most of my life growing up, when I pictured Judas, I kind of pictured Judas as this one who was different from all the rest, and he was, by his own personal background, he was different than all the other Galileans. But when I pictured Judas, I pictured him standing off to the side, watching what was going on with a snarl on his face, kind of disdainful of everything. But Peter makes it clear that he was numbered among them, that 
when the disciples healed, he healed people. When the disciples cast out demons, he cast out demons. When the disciples cleansed lepers, he cleansed lepers. He knew who Jesus was. And he knew that Jesus believed in him. Doesn't it, uh, doesn't it break your heart that one who walked with Jesus, who saw his power, experienced his love and his acceptance, would betray him? There is some tradition that suggests that the reason why Judas betrayed Christ was because he wanted to force Jesus' hands. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah and he wanted to force him to take action to overthrow the Roman government. We don't know, but maybe that explains why when it ended with Christ's death, Judas became so discouraged and depressed that he took his own life. There was a disciple Judas and there was a Jew. Judas's name never appears without a qualifier, so does Caiaphas's. His name is always attached to he being high priest that year, and that tells us two things. First of all, the office of high priest was never intended to be an annual office. It was intended to serve as long as God gave you breath. But because of the Roman occupation, that position had been sold to the highest bidder. And interestingly enough, if you, if you haven't heard this, it's important to realize that it was the high priest family that actually owned and managed all of the business in the temple courts. So that when the scripture says Jesus came in and overturned the table of the money changers, he was actually intruding upon their business, which then leads me to wonder, is that part of the reason why they hated him so much? Jewish law tells us that Caiaphas was intended by law to act as the presiding judge over any ruling over a Jew that came before the courts. But this night with Jesus, he acted as the prosecuting attorney. The law tells us clearly, a Jew could not be tried in the dark of night, could not be judged the same day as a trial, and it provided that not only did the man not have to answer incriminating questions, incriminating questions were not even allowed. So when Jesus tells Caiaphas to ask his own witnesses, he wasn't being disrespectful. He was asking Caiaphas to actually obey their own laws. But the second thing it tells us is it says he was high priest that year. And history and God himself knew that that would be the last year that the office of high priest would mean anything significant at all. So it would be as appropriate that we would say that faithful year. From Caiaphas, Jesus was taken to a third character, a Roman by the name of Pilate. Pilate was probably a very competent administrator in that he was asked to uh, rule over a very difficult territory for about 10 years because the Jews, those pesky Jews, were always fomenting rebellion against the Roman Empire. But when confronted with Jesus, Pilate tried to pawn him off on Herod Herod questioned him and then sent him right back to Pilate. And Pilate three times tried to get Jesus acquitted. Three times he says, I find no fault in this man. But Caiaphas responded and said, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar's. You see, 
only a select few people wore a ring that actually had Caesar's face on it. It was a position of prestige and power, and Pilate had such a ring. But he knew that if word got back to Caesar that he was allowing another man to be called the king, that would cause him some problems. In this time of the coronavirus, we all know something of the washing of our hands. I feel like I've washed my hands more than I ever have in my whole life. But in history, if there's ever a famous washing of the feet, it would be Jesus' foot washing of his disciples. And if there was ever a most famous hand washing, it was Pilate's trying to wash his hands of any responsibility of Jesus. But you can't get rid of Jesus just by washing your hands. You see, Coptic history tells us that Pilate became a Christian. And that wouldn't surprise me because Pilate had some information that others didn't have. You see, he had the warning of his wife's dreams about Jesus. He knew Jesus had answered his questions in a stellar way. And he also knew that Jesus had died too quickly. You see, under Roman rule, when they would crucify somebody, after a certain amount of time, they would go and they would break their legs. They would do it for a reason. Because history tells us that a person who was hung on a cross could last up to eight to ten days hanging there. But most commonly, it was somewhere between three and five days. So that when they broke the criminal's legs, it wasn't to add to their pain. It was actually to end their suffering sooner. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And it hadn't even been a full day. Which attests to the fact that Jesus said, no man can take my life, but I lay it down. You see, Jesus wasn't killed. Jesus laid his life down. In the end, the Romans and the Jewish leaders said, he's finished. But upon the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. There was a disciple, there was a Jew, there was a Roman. And there was this fourth man that I believe if anyone ever should have become a Christian, it was he. His name was Barabbas, which means son of a father. And that fateful day, the son of the father took the place of a son of a father. Another interesting thing is that the charge against Barabbas was the same charge that the Jewish leaders made against Jesus. Dissidents or rebellion. Another interesting fact is that according to church history, Barabbas had another name. Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 27, 16, one translation says, there was at that time a notorious prisoner being held named Yeshua or Jesus Barabbas. I wonder how Barabbas felt walking by Calvary that day. Because would he not have walked by just to see this man who was put in his place? How true the hymn for Barabbas. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. As I thought about these four men who each experienced Calvary in a different way. I thought there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. I think there are times when we tend to sell Jesus a little bit short. Perhaps 
you're like me. At times, I have betrayed the name of Jesus out of fear, out of shame, out of confusion. Maybe He didn't meet my agenda in the way I expected. I think there's a little bit of Judas and a little bit of Caiaphas in all of us. We don't like it when Jesus intrudes upon my life plans. I don't like this coronavirus. I don't like being quarantined at home. I don't like during this time of the loss of my wife's mother not having our kids and our grandkids around us close to be able to hug them. There's a lot of things about this time I don't like. And there's a part of me that would say, Jesus, you should just change this. This isn't right. But he doesn't always do exactly as we want. He does what's best. We don't like it when Jesus tells us the truth about us as he did with Caiaphas. And then like Pilate, there are times when we try to ignore him. When he's telling us something about our lives or some direction for our lives and we try to ignore it because we have other plans. There have been times in my life when I have said never to Jesus. And as one of my teachers used to say, never say never to Jesus. He tends to do what he knows is best for us. And then there's a Barabbas in all of us. Jesus died replacing all of us upon that tree. There are still three crosses. A cross of rebellion, a cross of repentance, and a cross of redemption. Where, where do you stand today? If there was ever a day in our calendar that is a good day to make a decision for Jesus. It would be on an Easter Sunday. The truth is Jesus is alive today. He's alive because the grave could not hold him. You see, the Jews came to the Romans, to Pilate and said, would you set guard? Would you seal the tomb to make sure he doesn't get out? But you can't keep Jesus down. Death could not hold him. Even as we sang this morning, he has conquered death and the grave for you and for me. For much of my life growing up, I thought God was this mean old man up in heaven's woodshed waiting for me to blow it so he could beat me. Just like I had experienced as a kid growing up in my family. It took me years to realize that God's not mad at us at all. He loves us and from our very first breath to our dying breath, He loves and pursues us. Today would be a good day for you to embrace the love of God. He's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He's not judging you. He's wanting you to come home to His heart. You probably don't recognize the name Nikolai Ivanovich Bukharin. But during his day, he was probably one of the most famous people upon this planet. You see, he was a Russian communist leader. He took part in the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. He was the editor of their paper, Pravda, which ironically means truth. And he was a full member of the Politburo. His works on economics and political science are still actually read today. But there was a point in time in 1930 in which he made a trip from Moscow to Kiev. And the purpose of his trip was to stand before a group of people and to demonstrate to them 
that their faith in God was misplaced. He stood before them, aiming his big guns at Christianity, hurling insults and argument and proof. And at the end, with defiance and a snarl upon his face, he said, any questions? And the place that was packed of Russian Orthodox believers just stood quiet and silent. But after just a few minutes, one young man stood up and he made his way to the front. He apologized to this communist leader for his lack of polish and his ignorance. And Nikolai said, I'll give you five minutes. And this young man smiled and said, I don't think it will even take that long. He stood in front of the crowd and he looked from his left to his right and back again. And then with loud voice, he cried out, Christ is risen. And without one word being said to any direction, the people stood up in mass and with a loud voice said, he is risen indeed. You see, you can't silence true faith in the risen Christ. You can't ignore him and you can't keep him down in the grave. What I'd like to do today as we are ending our time together, right in your home, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your children, I want you to be able to declare the truth. So as I say the words, Christ is risen, you're going to declare loudly and with all of your heart, he is risen indeed. Kids, that's your line. He is risen indeed. So when I say it, you declare it. Are you ready? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We end our service today with the Lord's table. This can be for many an empty ritual. We just did it last week, so why are you doing it again? You go through the, math, the motions, and like magic, you think, well, if I do it, then maybe God will be nice to me. But that's not the heart of what Jesus instituted. He makes it clear that as we participate in this table, grace from his heart is available to us. Grace for healing. Grace to still our fears, our doubts, our wonderings. Grace for our grief at this time. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 22, the scripture says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he broke it, he gave it to them and said, Take eat, this is my body. Do you have your communion ready? You take the element and you break it representing Christ's broken body. Would you take and break yours and perhaps share with your family? Each one, being able to participate. I know that growing up, we were often warned, don't you participate. If you've sinned at all, don't participate until you've repented. But I believe that this table was an invitation. It's an open table to any who would. And it doesn't matter where you're at yet in your walk. Maybe you're not even walking with God. You're just wondering. You're pursuing. You're looking into it. This is a table that God invites you to participate with him, to come and receive his life. He said, take heed. This is my body, which is broken for you. That you, instead of knowing brokenness, would know wholeness of life. Let's partake together. And the scripture says, then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank it. This cup represents 
the shedding of His blood that we just read about this morning. It represents a blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Our sin forgiven and washed away. Not just covered over any longer, but now cleansed. His blood, the new covenant, written for us. Let's partake together. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Throughout time, whenever the Jewish people would gather to celebrate Passover, they would end their Passover feast with these words, next year in Jerusalem. That just wasn't a way for them to hope that maybe they who were scattered around the world would be able to make their way back to their beloved city, Jerusalem. It was about more than that. They believed that maybe next year Messiah would come. And so as we end today, I say to you, not next year in Jerusalem, but next year in the kingdom. Maybe the Messiah will come again this time and we will be able to celebrate the fact that we're in him. Let me end our time with prayer. I thank you, Father, for your love for this world that you gave your only begotten Son that anyone who would believe on him would have their sins forgiven and they would know abundant life and eternal life. You didn't come to this world to judge it. You came to save it. So Lord, if there be any here today that don't know you, I pray that they would turn their hearts towards you right now. All it takes is saying, Jesus, I want you. I long for you.